What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Fantasy Scouts Podcast, episode number 43. I am your host, Chad Workman, joined by fellow scouts Sam Ehrman and Matt Nine. Today on the show, we are going to recap the championship games. What a weekend it was for NFL football. Uh, some new coaching hires have been implemented. We are going to discuss those and the fantasy impact Remember, as always, head on over to patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts. Subscribe there. Check out our new updated website, ffballallday.com. Let's get into the show. to start i forgot at the top to mention this but tom brady officially retired um kind of big news i would say i mean i think it's kind of the reason i kind of just like forget about it is because there were the early reports so you know we kind of knew this was coming but i just general thoughts matt what do you what do you think best of all time yeah i don't i don't feel like there's discussion a discussion i guess the biggest takeaway for me, what I thought was really cool is that he went out coming off of one of his best or top two seasons ever. So just him going out on his own terms, there was no decline. I feel like if he had played another maybe two or three years and we had finally seen that cliff, then people would have been like, Oh, you know, but he did fall off, you know, blah, blah, blah. But now that he's leaving basically on top statistically, there's always going to be that conversation. It's like Brady probably could have come back and played at a high level for another two to three years. And so there's always going to be that mystery that follows him about, you know, what if. So I, I don't, there's never been an NFL season that I've partaken in, like that I've been invested in that didn't include Tom Brady. So this fall is going to feel a lot different for me, as I'm sure it will most people. But like I said, best of all time. Yeah, I agree. That's a really good point because. So many guys, especially quarterbacks, they want the stats. They want to keep climbing up the charts and more rings. But going out on top like that, I mean, that's how he'll be remembered, right? So, And it's a long shot, but I think, what is it? It's this weekend, right? I think there's a chance this weekend he walks away with the MVP. I mean, imagine retiring the same year you win an MVP. Who does that? Right. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, you know, I think the thing I really wanted to add in is you're right, Matt, because if you look at other guys, you know, like – who waited a year too long, you know, like it was desperate, you know, like Breeze, Brady, Big Ben waited a year too long and there was no conversation. It was, this is hard to watch. Let's just get him out the door. You know, like with Brady, there's never going to be that conversation or, you know, where they fell off. Like even when Tom or Peyton Manning won that Super Bowl in 2015, it was all defense. It wasn't Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. Um, so I think, you know, Tom's doing it right by leaving like a year too early instead of a year too late. Um, I, I do wish I could see him play another year or two. And I'm right there in the same boat with Matt that I can't remember an NFL season without Tom Brady. I mean, considering I was drafted or I was born in 97 and he was drafted in 99, you know? uh, So (laughs) yeah, obviously, you know, I've never watched football without Tom Brady, so it's going to be weird. And um, I'm happy for him. I I don't know what he's going to do. I imagine he'll get involved in football somehow. I think he's too smart. Um, to not be like in the front office or coaching at some point, maybe take some time off, but he'll be back in the league. He loves the game too much. He's too competitive. 
I think he'll take a year or two off to be with his family, and then he'll go nuts. Like, okay, I got to go do something, football, and then um, we'll see from there. But, I mean, congrats on him. Um, I'm going to miss him. But, you know, I, I always respect greatness. You know, I'm somebody, like, I respect the heck out of the Alabama teams and New England and Tom Brady and stuff. So, um, I always enjoyed watching it. So, I'm going to miss him. But, I mean, congrats on him. A hell of a legendary career. And um, I – it's, it, he shouldn't have to wait five years to get his gold jacket. Yeah. I was going to say that the era of Breeze, Brady, Roethlisberger, and Rivers ends, and the era of Burrow, Herbert, Allen, and Mahomes begins. I thought you were going to include Hertz in there. I thought you were too, dude. Oh, my God. Oh, you left out Lamar. You can't leave out Lamar. Well, I, I do agree with you. I think the AFC is in good hands. Yeah. Um, NFC, those guys are getting old. Um, you can make an argument that Matt Stafford is still the best NFC quarterback um, right now. And over Russell um, Wilson, I think right. I think that yeah, like right now. Um, you know, two years ago, maybe not. I think it's really close. I think if you put Russ in Los Angeles, they're obviously Super Bowl contenders. Like you know, obviously the Rams are. So. Um, I don't know. That's a good question, but AFC I, bright future. NFC they better start drafting some studs. Let's get who are the. That's a good question. Who are the young NFC QBs? You it's Kyler and not really Kyler Fields. And he Fields. hasn't proven anything. Hasn't Field, proven. I think Fields and Hurts would fall in the same category. They Lance have, hasn't they proven have, anything. Lance, like, they have the potential. It's just you can't. They're not there yet. Yeah, so, like I was just Murray and Ryan about this, and like the, all the star A, all the star Q quarterbacks of the next generation in the AFC. I mean, like, Jordan Love could, goes in that. Maybe we have to wait and see category. You could realistically know. like Justin Herbert might could very well be you know like the next Philip Rivers and never win a Super Bowl because there's you know you got to go through Mahomes and Burrow and you know so NFC is the place I think you could see veteran guys starting to go. Dak, Dak is the other one we haven't mentioned. He's not even he's not young anymore, isn't he? Like twenty eight now. I don't I don't know if this is breaking news, but I dropped this in the rumor mill channel this morning. They were local radio here. They were interviewing some NFL insider I'd never heard of before, but he said that the Texans have had serious conversations regarding Deshaun Watson, but they haven't talked to any AFC AFC teams seriously. All the teams that they've had real conversations with have been with NFC teams. So I think. You know, maybe he's part of that new NFC regime. I think it's possible, and it makes sense from the NFL's perspective. You know, you want to send the guy to the opposite conference and as far away as possible. You know, yep. like, that's why I like Jimmy. The only the only time you want to see him is once every four years or in the Super Bowl. That's exactly it. Like you don't well, want to have to deal with the guy. You know, even in like skilled positions. Like I've been like in a building where I can't say his name. Somebody got traded for way less than somebody else had offered, but it was a division rival, and it was like we can't deal with this guy twice a year. Like he's and good. the AFC has Trevor Lawrence. We don't know what he's about yet either, but he yeah. he has a skill set. So yeah, AFC's loaded. Good lord, I'm just thinking. Well, about it. we'll talk about uh, some new coaches, especially in the NFC, and and if uh, that could be like a Desha- Deshaun landing spot. But uh, for now, let's get into the championship round recap and review. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on the AFC game personally, but we're going to start with the NFC because Sam had some comments back in, what was it, week three or four? Let's roll that tape and get those comments, and then we'll get Sam's follow-up. Yeah, um, I mean, Matt Stafford is, I mean, like you guys, if you listen to the pod, you understand, like, 
how good I understand Matt Stafford is. And these first three weeks have done nothing but back that up. Um, they don't rely on the run anymore. Like with Matt Stafford, you don't need the play action to sit back and pass. They don't even need to run with Matt Stafford. They can literally just drop back and pass, and that's what they did on Sunday. Um, he's currently the QB4 um, through three weeks. He's had 30, 21, and 37 in six-point passing touchdowns. Um, I said he's got top five upside, and so far he's pretty um, – I mean, he's get, he gets Arizona, Seattle, and the Giants in his next three weeks. And, I mean, to be honest with you, those are favorable matchups. Arizona's going to score, oh, maybe. I mean, like that Rams defense is pretty good, but you get my point. Um, you have to be ecstatic about what you're seeing from Matt Stafford in that passing game. Uh, he could easily blow past 5,040 this year, and I've been saying it since April or whenever they made the trade. All right, Sam, Stafford's going to the Super Bowl. What do you What do you got for us? Well, I think to be fair, like the minute it happened, you know, obviously like I'm a Rams fan. So I immediately like was Super Bowl aspirations. I put all over Twitter and stuff. Um, I couldn't be more excited of how this season's gone so far. Um, I'm not I'm not I'm not satisfied. I want one more. I don't care. Like I want one more. Um, and the problem is there's another guy in uh, Cincinnati who has the same exact feeling that he wants one more um, with Stafford, you know, like. To me, it was never a question of like a talent and ability. Um, I watched him every Sunday in Detroit. Uh, the dude was an absolute baller. Um, I've got a lot of stats here. Uh, I'll try to go through only a few of them. Um, you know, so I grew up obviously in Indiana. Um, in Indiana, you got two games. You got Colts on CBS and Lions on Fox. So you know, I was kind of stuck watching Matt Stafford, but you know, I learned to love him because he was really good. Um, so. I wanted to go through, you know, because I had type, hyped him up all season, talked about how he's a Super Bowl, like they were Super Bowl contenders. He could be an MVP candidate. I almost nailed his, you know, stats predictions. Um, before this season, the two times he had a top 20 defense, they went to the playoffs. Um, he's behind the two greatest regular seasons for wide receiver, obviously Cooper Cup and Calvin Johnson. Um, and then he's got, got a lot of guys paid like uh, Kenny G. Um, Kenny G looks like he got paid. Um, like a superstar because of him. Uh, Matt Stafford's the fastest player to ever to 20,000, 30,000, and 40,000 passing yards. He's five yards away from 50,000, and he'll be the fastest to ever reach that as well. Um, he was the fastest player to ever reach 300 touchdowns. Since entering the league, um, he led the league in uh, fourth quarter comebacks and game winning drives. Um, I think everybody kind of knew that, like, when Matt Stafford got the ball last in Detroit, they were going to get the chance to win. Um, he was always clutch and he came through for the most part. I mean, he threw a touchdown with a dislocated collarbone, um, to win the game. I think that was back in like 2009, 2010, um, way back in the day. Um, uh, and during the season, you know, like obviously he had those turnovers and it was a little worrisome coming in the playoffs, but he's played his best ball since getting the playoffs. I also had the one turnover, um, you know, and really, like, I think coming into the season, it was all narratives. And in my opinion, I think he's killed all of that this year. Um, I think outside of Detroit, nobody really watched him. So it was all narratives. You know, this guy can't win under pressure, you know, yada, yada, yada. And one year, you know, he's got a good team around him. Um, he's checked all the boxes and they're going to the Super Bowl. As a Rams fan, I couldn't be more excited. Um, I thought maybe year two was the year we'd get to the Super Bowl. You know, I thought maybe year one, like, learning the system, getting comfortable with everything. But here we are, and um, 
you know, he's getting better. Odell's getting more comfortable in the offense. So um, I'm excited about the game. Um, it really does feel like one of those Madden franchises eight years down the road um, where you just simmed to the Super Bowl, you know, Rams, Bengals. But, um, you know, Matt Stafford to me has answered, I think, every question that I think anybody had about him. And I couldn't be more excited about this game. And, uh, yeah. Well, as a Seahawks fan, I hope you lose because you know this inner division is what we this is what we do. No, but, I respect it. Like, but oh. for you, I hope you win. I just hope the Rams lose. But yeah. then two of those things can't exist. But <laughs> yeah, so I, you nailed it, man. Props, take a bow, take a lap, whatever you want to do. Uh, I will say your prediction preseason was five thousand and forty. He threw for four hundred and. Or excuse me, 4,886 4, and 41. So you were off by 114 yards. And I guess the only knock that you could say is that he threw 17 picks, which his career high is 19. And in 2012, he threw 17. So it's a lot of picks. But again, the pass attempts were up. So it is what it is. But yeah, Matt Stafford, the trade paid off so far. You know, they went to the Super Bowl with Goff. Matt Stafford just has to close the deal now. I think if he scores more than three points in the Super Bowl, you can get him off his back. <laughs> so um not to not to go off course here but there is a report coming through that the jim harbaugh interview with minnesota is a formality and he's expecting to be named head coach um, what's this mean for dalvin cook no i tweeted this out and i was so disappointed i didn't get more traction remember vernon davis in san francisco I know what you're going to say, but Irv Smith's coming off a major injury. Are you not worried he's going to be rusty next year? Not at all, because it, it, it wasn't really that major of an injury. Because the entire season. Right, but the injury itself isn't a big deal, and it actually helps his longevity, if that makes sense. No. So it's not – okay, so the it was a torn meniscus, if I remember correctly, but it wasn't like a clean tear. I think it was grade two or something like this. And I remember Jeff tweeted this out. And it said it's a relatively simple procedure. It just the swelling, it just takes a while to heal. But when it does, he should easily be back. He's probably back to 100% right now, if I had to guess, because I've gone through something similar to this. And the the surgery he had uh, extends the longevity of his career, and it makes it harder for this to happen again with this particular procedure. So I'm not I'm not worried about that at all. I think Irv Smith will be 100% to go come camp here and – two or three months, whatever it is. Well, regardless, let's, uh, let's yeah, add that. Jim Harbaugh. Let's add that to the list for head coaching hires. But for now, uh, we'll stick with the, the NFC championship game. I mean, yeah, I, I don't have a lot to add. I've, I've been a big Stafford fan his career, so I'm, I'm really happy for him. And obviously Vaughn Miller uh, being a Broncos fan. But is, is the Cooper Cup season, like in totality, including the playoffs, is it the best – wide receiver season of all time like i, I think mean, he should be a legitimate top three mvp candidate i mean he was the triple crown leader they're going to the super bowl and it's solely because he was there to make big plays yeah obj's development has been great um but there's no denying that he, cooper cup is you know that engine's oil yeah totally and you know going back to calvin johnson obviously that season was remarkable but Cup is carrying that through the postseason, right? Which is a tougher place to do it. And obviously he's on a better team, but you know, I mean, he's had very good uh 
post. I mean, he had 142 and two touchdowns last week. Week before that, he had uh, 183 and a touchdown. I mean, he's I doing the, it. The numbers the here playoffs. for you. And it's there's also a lot of weapons in this offense. It's not like, you know, Calvin was great. I'm not knocking him, but who else did they really have? It's true. Nate Burleson. Javid Best. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. But so, I just think I John so, Best was nice, though, for a minute. He was nice. He was, was really nice. nice. I'm looking at this career NFL leader. So Cooper Cup finished just behind Calvin Johnson in single season receiving yards at 1,947. Calvin Johnson had 1,964. So it looks like he missed it by, what is that, 17 or something like that. Let me see touchdowns here. But I mean, even like, you know, regular season plus playoffs, like has anybody ever had a better just combined season? I don't think so. No, they showed a graphic during the NFC Championship game where I think it, at the time, um, sorry, I, I coughed on my water. Um, I think at the time, Cooper Cup had 2,164 receiving yards. And that was the most um, ever in a season for any wide receiver ever. So I believe he obviously got more since then. But I know that the 2,164 that he had up until that point sometime during the game was the most ever in a wide receiver. So it, he, it has been the best production season. I just don't know how much like he had it. He had the extra game. So people are holding that against him. But even in the playoffs, he's had 386 yards and four touchdowns in three games. Oh, I absolutely like, agree. Unbelievable. I mean, he's an absolute superstar. Like, it blows my mind. Like, not only how I did not see this coming, like being a Rams fan, like maybe I was too dialed into the Rams, but like I should have hit, you know, Cooper Cup. But, anyways, um, I, I just think that what he's done, you know, literally week one through now. I mean, he's been the most consistent player in arguably NFL history for a season. So, I mean, if that's not most valuable, I don't know what is. Like, I don't think he had a single bust game all year. His lowest game in terms of yardage was 64, and that's a huge outlier. Outside of that, 92. Yeah, see, like, it's that's just ridiculous. Like, that You shouldn't be able to do that as a wide receiver in the National Football League. Right. Like, so... It legitimately felt like an like a create a wide receiver player, you know, like a create a player and yeah. just run him run around. Cooper Cup finished with 145 receptions, was Frank's second for a single season behind Michael Thomas from a couple years ago at 149. So statistically on paper, Cooper Cup had a top two wide receiver season of all time. In every category. That's what's wild. That he was right. pretty far behind on touchdowns. Jerry oh, Rice had a he? Jerry Rice had a twenty-five touchdown season, and Cooper Cup had sixteen this year. So okay. that's that's the only one that he's way down. But like you said it, it, at the top of the segment, uh, Cooper Cup is like what one of four or five guys that have gotten the triple crown in the receiving categories: Sterling led, Sharp, Jerry Rice, and Randy Moss. Yeah, receptions, yards, and touchdowns led the entire league in those categories for receiving sets. So. Yeah, it's it's a special season. It goes down in history books. Yeah, I drafted him on – I was trying to get him and Robert Woods on a lot of my best ball teams because I knew they had a really high ceiling with Stafford, but my teams were so ravaged by injuries outside of Cup, they they didn't really do much His, anyways. But here's I, a legitimate I, I, saw, I saw this tweet earlier this morning. His ADP to start the season was 29. Wow. Receiver 29. That's incredible. Um, here's a quick question. 
so obviously the Browns haven't played, but it if you're sitting in Cleveland, if you're a prospective wide receiver who could end up in Cleveland, or you know anybody with a brain, uh, like how do you not watch Odell Beckham Jr.'s development with the Rams? Like all you have to do is get the ball in his vicinity, and Baker Mayfield couldn't even do that. Like is Baker Mayfield losing in these playoffs? Seeing Odell just ball out. Like I mean. Matthew Stafford sometimes is just throwing the ball in the vicinity of Odell, and he's making the catch. Baker well, doesn't even do that. I I wouldn't be surprised if the Browns are in the hunt for like a Derek Carr if he becomes available, even you know Kirk Cousins or something. It you know they've got one they've got that fifth year left on on Baker, and that's it. So it seems like they're that's like their flirting year like they're gonna go i you know see yeah get, and then just add baker mayfield to the list of the guys like daniel jones and a few others i mean you got you probably have one year left if it's not this year then you're out right yeah agreed what about um from the 49ers perspective uh i mean it's trey lance time right i mean it, it sounds like jimmy garoppolo said you know he just wants to go somewhere where they can win and Supposedly, he had a discussion with John Lynch yesterday about possible destinations. So even if Shanahan's not coming out and saying it, it's they're going to move on. Yeah, and he also said, what did he say? I'm not going to shut any door completely, but, you know, right. you know we're going to do what's best. So, like, I think everybody knows, even Jimmy knew, like, when he was walking off, like, he was waving. He knew it was, you know, his time ended in San Francisco. So, you know, I, I think he'll end up probably somewhere like Washington, um, I mean, maybe it's a, um, a piece to compete with Baker. Um, you know, I think like Jimmy Garoppolo makes the Browns a Super Bowl contender. I mean, like you, you, the Browns are like the 49ers. You just need somebody to drive the car and right. not make stupid mistakes. Clearly six ain't capable of that. Maybe 10 is. Yeah. I mean, that roster is, is really good, but I'm a little, I don't know if I'd say concerned, but I have some concerns with Debo, more so Ayuk, actually. I think Ayuk in that offense. I think Kittle and Debo can still get theirs, but with Trey Lance's development, I don't know. I'm a little worried about Ayuk. It's hard to say because we don't know what he's going to look like. He could, you know throw it 40 times a game or run it 40 times a game. And we'll have no idea until we get like a good chunk of analysis to look at. Cause and that next- might, that might even change, you know, he might throw yeah. it 40 times in one week and then run it 40 times the next well, week. I think I mean, that's like the flexibility he's going to be able right. to give them. So it'll be really hard to tell which weeks that's going to be a good week for wide receivers. But I think Trey Lance for fantasy will always be safe just because of the rushing floor. Right. I agree with that. All right, let's talk about the AFC. The Bengals uh, beat the Chiefs. I I think we were all surprised by this. Um, one thing that I would have mentioned off the top, the Bengals did a really good job in the second half. I feel like they kind of baited Mahomes in the first half, gave him some of what he wanted, and they were playing zone and blitzing occasionally. When they weren't getting home, Patrick Mahomes would sit back and just pick the zone apart. Um, when they were getting home, he'd squeak through the pocket and take off and run 15 yards. In the second half, they ran man defense in the secondary, and then they would drop a couple of their rushers and play zone just just above the line of scrimmage and kind of spy him. So those lanes weren't open, and they were locking 
you know, the receivers up downfield. So I was really impressed with the Bengals from that aspect. But uh, what were your thoughts on just, I guess, everything, Matt? Well, to add on to what you were saying, not only were they playing zone, but they were taking away the middle of the field. They were forcing him to throw to the boundary, which is something he doesn't like to do Mm -hmm. because they run a lot of those streaking concepts, those uh, crossers and stuff like that. So they took all that away, and he just couldn't get it. So, yeah, like you said, props to the Bengals for their halftime adjustment. It was a hell of an adjustment, and Joe Burrow is Joe Montana. I mean, good Lord. His his escapability in critical situations and being able to throw the ball and just being level headed, he doesn't get rattled. I mean, Joe Burrow's for real. Yeah, he is. The one I, thing I, I want to think. Oh, I was gonna say real quick. One the one play I think that makes a difference, and they were actually I agree with this. They were talking about on TV at, either this morning or yesterday, was that that final drive that Kansas City had, had to kick the field goal uh, into to send it into overtime there with Trey Hendrickson tracked Mahomes down, which looked like he was going to run for a first down, but it ended up being like third and four or second and four or something like that. And he pushed him out of bounds. And I think that's a really critical play because if Mahomes picks up that first down, they're like on the four yard line at that point. So I think, especially on that last drive and especially uh, on the fumble recovery uh, from Joe Thune, when Mahomes fumbled at their last play of the game before they kicked the field goal, when Sam Hubbard, he was the QB spy, and then he ran as soon as Mahomes kind of started to struggle to find somebody, he rushed him. I think just the the effort of the Bengals' defensive line really on that last series was enormous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the one thing I was going to add real quick on top of your DB adjustments was I think the Bengals have done a really good job over the past two or three years just getting really lengthy, fast corners. A lot of teams don't have the personnel to do what they were able to do on Sunday. And I almost wonder if other teams aren't going to see that and be like, okay, we need to go get some more, you know, of these kids who are just fast and we can teach them how to play corner. Because, I mean, you need somebody to run with Tyreek. And the Bengals over the past few years have gotten just fast guys. I mean, like in the, you know, the defensive end and or the defensive backfield. And um, I can draw on a blank on his name, but 31. Is Jesse Bates quickly developed into one of the best safeties in leagues, and he can fly. He can cover sideline to sideline, and they just went for speed. And I think that really showed up in the second half on Sunday, which makes me a little nervous about what the Rams are going to do. But the Rams, like, we don't do a lot of da- deep field shots. You know, we just kind of – anyways, that's a whole game plan thing. But, yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, I don't think a lot of teams have that personnel, but I almost wonder if it's not going to be like a blueprint moving forward. Yeah, and they, they're pretty deep, too. Like, <clears throat> they don't necessarily have one, like, main lockdown quarterback, but they got Chidobe Awuzie, Eli Apple, Trey Waynes, Trey Flowers, Vernon Hargraves. I mean, and it's then Mike, Mike Hilton. Busts. Like, Vernon Hargraves, Trey Waynes, Eli Apple were huge first-round busts, and there they are in Cincinnati. They're not playing at an elite level, but they can run, and they're physical. And that's all they wanted them to do, and here they are going to the Super Bowl. That's crazy to me. All three of those guys were busts, first-round picks, and there they are. And this, Mike Hilton, they uh, plucked away from the Steelers, their rival, and he's been yeah. good too. This is, a to me, this this is not a blueprint for anything. This is the same C- defense Seattle and Pete Carroll's been running for years. You get your tall, lengthy corners, your Richard Sherman, your Brandon Browner, your Cam Chancellor. You have a good front four, and you just play man on the back end. I mean, you got guys that are physical that are huge that can just out – out, out battle the wide receiver. So 
the Bengals, I don't know if this particular kind of defense is new. I think the issue with it is in order to run this kind of defense, you have to have the exact personnel. And finding those speed corners that are 6'1 plus, 6'2 plus is very difficult to find. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a lot of uh, Fangio staple too. But, uh, you know, I think corners like in the NFL are the easiest position to find. But you have to coach them up in the technique, and that's the hardest part. Because yeah. you can you can walk into any HBCU school and find a six-two corner who runs like a four-three, and be like, okay, that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you got you know, it's the technique yeah. and the IQ, and like the Bengals have done a great job of simplifying their defense. So it's like do this job, this one play, and out. I wonder outside of a few, since this is you know a fantasy podcast, I wonder outside of a handful of guys if you can compare corners to tight ends as far as the development process goes you really don't see somebody truly break out in the secondary until maybe like year three yeah i mean it's rare like i mean patrick sertan obviously patrick Sertan, yeah. so I, I can name a handful of guys that you know day one picks you know jc horns those guys but i just you know as a general you know i mean even richard sherman wasn't good his rookie year yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it is like a development pick. And that's why a lot of times, like, you won't see corners drafted in the second or third round. Because it's like, if, if there's not a stud up there, you know, in the first round when you're picking, a lot of teams' philosophies are, okay, well, we'll just get, you know, three or four of these developmental guys we like later in the draft, and we'll, you know, see what we got with them. And, I mean, corners, they're hard to develop, but they're easy to find if you, you know, if you know where to look and kind of what to look for and, um, you know, that's why you see so many teams just hammer them late in drafts and they develop. And yeah. I don't know about like how long it takes. You're probably right. It's probably three years. And they're, they're a good position to play special teams too. A lot of yeah. good special teamers are secondary guys that can play special teams for a few years and then develop into more uh, kind of down the road. So that's a good point. I'm curious what you guys think. Give me your guess on where, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins were going startup dynasty ADP through the month of January. This past January? Yes. I don't know. Wait, like where they were this past January or where they were like trending? You have to rephrase it. So the last, what is it? February 1st. So this past month, January. Oh, where they're going? What was their positional ADP? Well, my guess is Chase was one and Higgins was probably like 12. Close two and eleven. Oh, wow! Sorry. I, I, guess Dang, I, was I, I, I was gonna say two and fifteen, so it's fine. Um, was is Je- Jefferson above him? Justin, it has to be right. Um, or, Ty- or Tyreek, or yeah, or Tyreek. It should be. Je- it should be Jefferson. But. Yeah, I have to imagine it's Jefferson. I just had those two guys pulled up because I was curious. No, you're good. I just I it is. It is Jefferson. Yeah. I'll be, you know, honestly, like I know we're kind of getting off topic, but the Super Bowl matchup of just those wide receivers, like on both sides against those DBs, I'm really excited to see. Like, I'm curious to see in the Super Bowl, like how Jalen Ramsey moves around. Like, typically he moves around the field. I'm curious if he's going to shadow Jamar or if he's just going to, you know, play some sort of box coverage or what. Like, I'm just very curious to see, like, you know, and then on the opposite side, what are the Bengals going to try to do to get rid of Cooper Cup? And then, like, okay, you got to get Odell going. Tyler right. Higgins not, might not be in. So is this Blanton's big game? You know, so it's like I'm just really excited to see, like, those matchups. But anyways, sorry. What do you, do you guys think the Jamar Chase going second among once, amongst wide receivers and Higgins going 11th? Do you think that's 
about right or I think Chase is fine. I think Higgins is a little too high. I think Higgins his season was polar opposites. Like he sucked. I tweeted he sucked for fantasy and then he became a fantasy superstar. Um that's exactly what happened. I tweeted to stick with him. So well I was I think the I think Chase is, is properly valued, but I think Higgins is too high because in yeah. two years his best finish is 24, and I think his best points per game is like 17 or something like that. So I think Higgins is probably like realistically like wide receiver 15 to like 20. I like, agree with that. You're going to get now. those wide receiver one weeks, but you're going to have like those weeks like you did in the first half of the season where it was like not great, you know. But I think overall, you'll be happy with the finish. And, you know, there'll be victory laps on the weeks he does good. But, you know, the weeks he's quiet, you know, you'll never hear anything. And he's a great player. Don't get me wrong. But I think 11's a little too high. I agree. I agree. And I'm a, you know, kind of a T. Higgins guy. And I think that's a bit too high. People think I'm not a T. Higgins guy. I had him as my wide receiver three in the class. I had just went out on that tweet and said, He's being overrated for fantasy, or he's a better player than he is fantasy asset. For those of you wondering at home, Jamar Chase fell in the tier one of the recent update of the Fantasy Scouts Dynasty ranks, and T. Higgins is in tier four. Interesting. Four feels a little low. Yeah, That's I think I still have him in like three. Yeah, like a three, because he's not like a, or even a, is he a two? No, because like two are the, like those. Who are your twos? Well, if Chad wants to go update his, because he hadn't done any of them. Busted. Busted. <laughs> after this, I'll do it after this. I'm, I'm at my computer. Uh, I'll read him to you real quick. Your two so, would be like DJ tier, Moore, right? So tier one, we have Jefferson, Chase, and Hill. Tier two, we have Adams, Metcalf, Diggs, Brown, Lamb, Cup, and Debo. Okay, what the timeout? I don't. I, I'm Cooper Cup. What are we doing in tier two? These are consensus, my friend. Okay. Well, the cons- I'm just asking, like, why? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What? And and Devontae. <laughs> tier, what? Tier tier three is McLaurin, Hopkins, DJ Moore, Keenan Allen, Deontay, Pittman, Evans, Ridley, and Waddle. And then finally, in tier four, we have Claypool, Godwin, Devontae Smith, Michael Thomas, Higgins, and Rashad Bateman. Did I miss DJ Moore, or was he not in there? Tier think- three. Okay, I don't know if I like those. Like, how many? How many people were in tier one? How many people rank? No, how many guys? How many wide receivers were in tier one? Three. I mean, I guess that makes some sense because you want, but I would have Cup in that one. But yeah, me too. The top tier to be well, you guys. We're we're doing these. It's based on value, right? And like value and production. Because I'm saying it's like after. Jefferson Chase and Hill, is there another wide receiver that probably costs as much to acquire that Cooper goes with Cup. that production? But Cooper Cup's much older than those guys. Yeah, he, you could probably get him cheaper than like Jefferson and stuff. I yeah. Like if like if you had Cooper Cup, you would have to trade Cup plus to get Jefferson or Chase. Like that's just the reality of it. I'm not saying I agree, but that's just the reality. Like I would want that if somebody was coming to me with cup for chase because of the huge age discrepancy. So I think that's where that you get that tier break. Production is good. Situation's good, but you're a much older wide receiver pushing 30. If I'm not mistaken, was he 28? Something like that. So yeah, that's all it is, but 
The more rankers we have, up. the more accurate it is. Yeah, he's really? he's 28. He'll be 29 this summer. Same. And then you got Chase will be 22 and Jefferson will be 23. Yeah, he's even older than I thought. I would have thought like 27, maybe 26, but not uh, 28 going on 29. Um, What about the Chiefs? I mean, you know, we – we talked about the def- the Bengals defense kind of making these adjustments, but you'd expect Pat Mahomes and, and Kelsey and Hill and that offense to figure figure it out. I mean, what do we think going forward? I think they're going to be in the market for a playmaker wide receiver too, which I think will boost their offense a lot. Maybe I, they go after Juju again. But it's been rumored like that they're going to be very interested in Odell, assuming he doesn't resign. So we'll have to wait and see there. But I think the Chiefs window is coming to a close rapidly. Because that Mahomes contract is going to get more and more expensive every single year. Kelsey's getting older, and I think yep. you saw it a little bit this year. Kind of had some moments where he didn't look like himself. I think overall, like he'll have another good year. But I think you need to start having that conversation as well about the Kelsey decline. Um, yeah. Because he kind of struggled at some points this season, and he's only getting older. I think that's really the only thing – you know, Chiefs wise, that I'm really questioning is, you know, what are we going to do with Travis Kelsey? He's going to be 33. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, 33. So it's like, are you still sending a first round pick on Travis Kelsey in redraft leagues? No, no, I don't think so. A second rounder? Probably like a late second. If I can get Waller or Kelsey on the turn. Who? Waller. I probably lean Kelsey just because the uncertainty with, but I wouldn't be surprised if McDaniels helps Waller. Um, But it's going to be different. You know, Michael Lombardi was talking today. He said that. Josh McDaniels over the past 10 years after he miserably failed as a head coach had spent the past 10 years, you know, trying to figure out how to be a better head coach and worked on the things and has only gotten better and thinks he's going to do great. So I'm, I'm after he said that I, I trust Michael Lombardi. So I'm excited to see Josh McDaniels now in Vegas. So. Yeah. He, his press conference, I will say he sounds like he's learned a lot. And after Denver, I mean, I knew it would never happen, but when we hired Vic Fangio, I was thinking, man, we should try to bring McDaniels back. I think he has a good shot to succeed uh, this time around. He likes Brian Edwards, so that's good. All right. Well, I guess that's a good segue to get into these head coaching hires. Uh, let's start. Well, we'll start with I got it. We're going to start with the Broncos because I write the show sheet and I want to talk about the Broncos. Um, They hired Nathaniel Hackett. I think early on the consensus was that it would be Dan Quinn, but I think they approached it with an open mind. I think they're happy to have an offensive coach, but I think they were just looking for the best head coach regardless. But what stands out is that he's just such an energetic, fun, goofy guy. And we've had, you know, Vance Joseph and Vic Fangio, who, you know, kind of monotone, just uh, 
not really excitable guys. They don't, you know, there's not a lot of energy. And I think Hackett's going to bring that. But most of all, I'm curious to see what his offense looks like because when he called plays, um, you know, most recently he took the Jaguars to the AFC title game, but he didn't call plays in Green Bay. That was LaFleur. Hackett's offense was a bit different. He ran kind of a K-gun type of offense, you know, up-tempo, shotgun um, type of offense. One a running back. A little bit different. What's that? One running back. One running back. Yep. That's what, yeah, Phil brought up in the in the group chat that he likes to lean on two running backs evidenced by, you know, Green Bay. But that's not what his offense did. But I am curious. I mean, these coaches pick up new things as they go, right, and learn from other coaches. And he referenced LaFleur and learning from him. And he wants a guy from Green Bay to be his OC to help teach the system. Um, he wanted Stenovich, but he's going to be the Packers OC. They're looking at, I don't remember his name, I think the tight ends coach. But I'm curious to see how much he uses his prior offensive Kagan and how much he incorporates kind of that West Coast offense. Um, it hearing you say that makes me a little nervous. Well, I'm worried that nervous, nervous for who or for what? The Broncos and that hire. Let me explain. I, From everything I've read about him, he seems like a great coach. I mean, seems like he's very knowledgeable. Guys love him. And I think he's going to bring a new exciting energy to Green Bay or, I mean, Denver. But I worry with what you just said that he's going to try to copy and paste Green Bay and fail um you can't he needs to be his own coach he can't be worried about only having green bay guys because if you're going to try to go in there and coach matt Lafour's offense it's not going to work he it needs to be his own offense if it's the k-cup stuff if it's a, a mesh of the matt Lafour stuff and the stuff he's learned that's fine too but having hearing that you know he he's only looking at green bay guys to be you know his oc Tells me that maybe he's trying to mimic what he's seeing in Green Bay, um, which could work if you land Aaron Rodgers. Outside right. of that, I don't know. That makes me very nervous because it it's, it sounds very similar to guys leaving New England and trying to enforce New England culture. Obviously, a little different, but you need to be your own coach. So if he's going to come in and try to just copy and paste Green Bay, that makes me very nervous hearing that. Yeah. I think that's a that's a good point, and that's definitely a valid concern. And that's, I hope that doesn't happen, right? I think we need to wait and see. But I think that's a fair question. And you know, they are interviewing um, Clint Kubiak, Gary Kubiak's son, uh, coming from Minnesota. He was let go, so some different elements. And see, that I would be very like, if he does that, I would love that because he's that that's a zone concept. You know, it's very similar to Green Bay, but different. You know, they're going to have two different minds. And, you know, they need to be able to use their personnel. You got Javante. I doubt the Melvin Gordon, but maybe. Um, and then, obviously, Sutton, Judy, and Fant. Um, you know, and if they do some sort of mesh, I'm excited. But if he only hires Green Bay guys, I may have my concerns. Like, everything I've read and said and heard and watched his interviews looks great, but – you know, there's that football factor where, you know, you got to be your own coach. So I'll be watching curiously, 
to all the hires, all the position coach hires, because if it's like strictly Green Bay guys or strictly guys he's worked with, that might be a red flag. So it's just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair point. Um, they're not looking at Green Bay guys on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, that's a little different. But uh, were you going to add something, Matt? Well, I was just going to say not only that, but, you know, the elephant in the room, does Aaron Rodgers go there or not? I I will say, so Aaron Rodgers aside, and I, I, I was not aware of this. I thought this was more of a GM and a Matt LaFleur. Uh, what's his name? Gutekunst is the GM there in Green Bay. I was not aware of this, and I recently did a little dive into Jordan Love, and Nathaniel Hackett was one of the biggest voices in on in that draft room on draft day for Jordan Love, and I was not aware of that. So if for some reason Aaron Rodgers does decide to stay, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it definitely cannot be ruled out that Jordan Love is the one that actually ends up in Denver. It's a good point. Because Hackett likes Love. They have a very close relationship uh, I mean, I, I went through probably 10 or 15 different articles, read all these different quotes and stuff like that, watch press conference videos, and they're a lot closer than I than I knew. So I wonder if that is actually the move that is going to happen rather than Rodgers leaving. You know, I think I, it's very possible. I know Aaron Rodgers also really loves and respects Nathaniel Hackett. So I think if he gets either, you know, I think they'll be fine. I just, you know, you don't know about Jordan Love yet. Obviously, he's not Aaron Rodgers. Um I think, and also the only person who's going to know where Aaron Rodgers is going to go is Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, he's a, he's a very intelligent man. He, you know, thinks a lot and he makes, you know, decisions based on whatever. And um, obviously I don't know him, but, you know, over the past two years, I've kind of gotten to know him a little bit, you know, on the Pat McAfee show. And I feel like if he were to return and play football, it would be in Green Bay. Maybe he would do like a one more year thing and then leave, but I don't know if I see him leaving Green Bay to play. I could be wrong, obviously. You know, nobody knows, but um, I th- you know, even David Bakhtiari today was on, you know, the Pat McAfee show talking about it and talking about how calculated Aaron Rodgers is and stuff. And I don't know, um, but it's a chance. I don't think you can rule out anything until it happens. Yeah. I mean, I admittedly you know i'm looking at this through blue and orange glasses but i do think he's gonna end up in denver i think i know that he wanted to come to denver last year when he first around the draft green bay wouldn't do it but that's where he wanted he wanted to be in denver and i know that a lot of front office executives believe that he will be a denver bronco doesn't mean it's gonna happen but i think that's if i were just predicting that's what i would guess and if he wanted to be here you know last year you got to think you know i know the broncos did not hire nathaniel hackett for that reason but you got to think if he did want to be here last year you know with fangio and pat Shermer, he probably wants to be here with nathaniel hackett i will say though i've said this a couple times in our discord for those of you who are listening who are not a part of that but you should be is that if aaron Rodgers were to get traded uh, Noah Fant, Jerry Judy, and Drew Locke would be the likely three candidates if players were swapped to come from Denver to Green Bay. I would along, imagine, along with picks of, of some yeah. kind. And the Drew Locke one, I don't know if that makes any sense, but to push Love to compete, still yeah, working both on a rookie I know contract. I have it on good authority that if they did make the move last year, 
they wanted Teddy B over Locke. Now, obviously, it's a different circumstance this year, but that's just a. There were the and the rumor floating around last year was that Jerry Judy was a part of the trade package as well. Yep. You so. know, I also don't know. I I know Twitter, you know, assumes it's going to be Noah Fant just because they think Albert O is good because he runs fast. But I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, ball. Albert O is good. He drops a lot of balls, and he does not have very good hands, and he's real really poor blocker. Really poor blocker. I'm not so sure that Albert O isn't the one who's going to be on the move, um, because the Packers obviously lost Tunyon to an ACL. Um, you know, Albert O is fast, and Noah Fant is a much better tight end, which is, is well, a player. So that one does. I don't. I know that you know maybe Green Bay obviously sees that as well, which is why they probably want him. But I just don't know if I see Denver wanting to move off of their franchise tight end, who's developed exactly the way like the way the way they've wanted. I think it would depend also on they haven't picked up his fifth year option yet. I don't know exactly that timeline, but if they're going to pay Rodgers a boatload of money, that probably factors in too. Yeah, because he's in his fourth year. That's possible. But I think you're right. And the last thing I'll say about Hackett that excites me as a Broncos fan is that he's one of those people that's just successful in everything he does. He was a neurobiology major. He was on his way to becoming a doctor. He played football at UC Davis. He switched gears into coaching. He was a hip hop dancer. Um, He taught it like just so random, but he's done so many things and he's just been successful at everything. So I think he's one of those guys. So hopefully, um, you know, your concerns with him mimicking Green Bay is, you know, hopefully he doesn't go too far with that. But um, I think we got to talk about Brian Dabble, Dable, Dabble. Um, I think that's a good hire for the Giants, Sam. What do you think? Uh, I think it starts with Joe Schoen or Joe Shane, however you say, as the hire GM. Um, and, and then he obviously is bringing, you know, his buddy Brian from Buffalo. Um, I think the, the, what they're going to want to do is um, build the same exact kind of culture they did in Buffalo. Um, they really want, you know, guys who are blue-collar, blue hardworking guys. Um, and then they want coaches who develop people and players. Um, I think that's going to take time, but I think year one you'll see, you know, the flash. I think year two, maybe year three, if things work out, you know, they could be contenders. Um, I, I think they nailed these hirings. Um, as for Daniel Jones, um, I mean, he'll have this year, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they bring in someone like Mitch Trubisky to compete with him. Um, Matt's been all over that since, uh, as long as I can remember. Um, and Saquon, I mean, I think, you know, he's going to think he's going to do a better job trying to draw some stuff up for Saquon. And I know a lot of people are using the stuff like, Oh, his pass heavy bills offense and stuff. Well, yeah, you know, you have Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, you know, Emmanuel Sanders, you know, you have a lot more better weapons um, and a much better quarterback. So, and you obviously didn't have a, a Saquon Barkley level talent running back. So I think he's not stupid. Um, I think he's going to use Saquon and get him in good situations. Um, as for Kenny G and Kadarius Tony and all, whoever else, I don't know. I really don't know. It depends if Daniel Jones can develop, and that's a big question mark. Um, you saw what he did with Josh Allen and some of the work he did with him, so there's reason to be excited. You know, Daniel Jones is not great, but 
he's definitely a much better option than most of the ones walking around. Um, obviously, he's a great athlete as well. So I think there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Giants fan rather than how you felt a month ago with Joe Judge. Um, I'm excited, you know, you know just, just I'm excited just to watch Saquon. You know, like I really would like to see Saquon go off, you know, like I would, you know, Saquon live up to his potential. I mean, the Giants have screwed him over and over and over again. And I think this time they got it right. Can I ask you a question, though? Um, you mentioned, you know, Joe Schoen being hired and bringing Dabble over and building that Bills culture, which I think is a good move. But you mentioned the concerns with potentially Hackett, you know, kind of implementing Green Bay. Do you have that concern with with Dabble? Um, well, I don't think so because he's already hired outside Buffalo offensive help. But more so, um, Joe Shane's they're, – they're trying to shift the whole culture. Um, to a complete train wreck. Denver's culture is not bad. Like Vic Fangio, I know people want to make fun of him, but I thought he was a solid head football coach. You know, they just didn't have a quarterback. You, they went seven and nine with a backup, two backup quarterbacks. I, you know, that's not bad in my opinion. I, you know, so you know, obviously they have a great defense. You know, they, they can move the ball. They just didn't have a quarterback. So I know he was you know, the scapegoat. They need to get some fresh in there and stuff. And obviously they need to get a quarterback in there, but. Um, I don't think Denver is as far off as worse of a situation as New York. So I think New York just needs a complete reboot. I don't think there's anybody in that building who knows what winning is like compared to Denver. You know, you've still got some guys who know what a winning culture is like. And that stuff really matters when you walk into a room and the guy you're talking to doesn't, you don't have confidence in that guy that you're going to win that game. That shit matters. That stuff matters more than people think. And, um, I think, you know, they've got a, a long road ahead of them in New York, um, but I think they got the two right people to instill a winning culture and a blue-collar, hardworking love relationship. So um, I think it's a little different, but I can kind of see what you mean. Yeah, no, that's that's a good answer. That's fair. I, I was just curious uh, to see what you thought about that is all. But what do you got for us, Matt? I was just going to say that he did come out and say that to temper expectations because they're starting from the ground up. So I know Sam was saying, you know, they've done Barkley wrong, but I think there's a chance he, I think it's a long shot, but he might get traded this off season, but I don't think he's going to get his fifth year picked up if they haven't done that already. Or was no, that, last, that was last year. Okay. Yeah. So I think this is his last year in New York. Ultimately, if he doesn't get traded this off season, uh, I think they might try and wiggle their way out of a Kenny College contract next offseason. So I think there's going to be a lot of turnover here in the next two years. So I think it might be a couple years before the Giants are really competitive of any kind. And a lot of times, if you are able to wiggle out of like a Kenny Galladay contract, a lot of times you got to attach a pick and try to trade him, which could hurt. Daniel you know. Jones could could have another crappy year and then they get a new guy next year and you know all rookies kind of go through their struggles so then you're looking at maybe something two or three years down the road before the, you know we're really talking about the Giants again so yeah I mean isn't that kind of what I said a few minutes ago like I thought that you know they wouldn't be competitive for a year or two well I'm just saying like I think this is going to be this is going to be a slow process in New York I don't even the even this year if they're when they're trying to figure out guys out like I, I think maybe my mindset was just more of this year you know Daniel Jones has been there. Barkley's been there. Galladay year two, Tony year two, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I just don't think they're going to be that good this year either. No, I don't think so either. But I think obviously, even if the offense is competent, you know, Saquon could 
easily be a high-end RB1. I mean, like you were if you watched the Giants last year, they just had him run right into the A gap, right into the other side of the A gap, and then throw an incomplete pass and they would punt. Um, you know, obviously you can't predict the future, but um I think one of the things that he said that has me excited because it's the same thing the Jets are doing is we're going to play our young players. We're going to go through the, like the, you know, the bumps and bruises with these guys making, you know, MAs and mental mistakes and missing tackles and running the wrong routes and stuff, but they want to develop guys, you know, on the field, you know, and that stuff matters. And, you know, he said, they're going to start inside out. And at least with me, football, and I know a lot of coaches, football starts inside out in the trenches. And they have the worst offensive line and arguably one of the worst defensive lines in football. And I think that they're going to start there because um, they've got weapons on the outside. I mean, Kenny G's not great. Kadarius Tony's made of glass, but, you know, Sterling Shepard's okay. You know, Evan Ingram, whatever his case is, you know, they picked up his tag. So he'll be there, I believe. So, um, you know, there's pieces and I think they're going to start inside out. Obviously, you know, that being the trenches. So that alone should just create, you know, running room and pass protection time for Daniel Jones or whoever's back there. So obviously I don't think they as a team will be very good, but I think the offense and the fantasy production should be much better. Yeah. And I think either way, it's a step up from, you know, Joe judge. Yeah. I mean, was just caught in multiple lies, like just lying about, Sit past situations he was in. He made up some story about how Former one year he named a year where the whole coaching staff was about to get fired, and it was a Patriots Super Bowl season, and somebody exposed it, and just things like that. I mean, you just can't be. I mean, everybody knew he was full of shit, and so it should be a step up just overall in that regard, even if there are some some struggles, but. Uh, let's move to the Las Vegas Raiders who hired, um, Denver's most hated man, Josh McDaniels. What are your thoughts on that hire, Matt? He showed up for a press conference and finally signed the papers this time. There you go. Hey, so I don't know. New England of the West. I mean, I know Sam was saying earlier, you know, Hackett bringing his guys. I don't, I don't see how the Raiders don't kind of mimic New England to a certain degree. They already brought over their New England's assistant GM to be their GM. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just – it's going to be – I don't want to say carbon copy, but they're going to attempt to be the Patriots of the West. So I think it's safe to assume you're going to want a pocket passer. Although, I was thinking about this the other day. I wonder if he actually trades Carr and tries to roll with Mariota. Well – Because I knew – wasn't New England interested in Mariota like three, four years ago whenever he was – a Free agent out of Tennessee? I think so, but I've heard, I mean, (laughs) Josh McDaniel's history. He came into Denver, traded Jay Cutler for a guy he had worked with before. He wanted Matt Castle. He ended up with Kyle Orton, but, I mean, he could go in and trade Carr and bring in Jimmy G, a guy he is familiar with. Um, What a lateral jump that would be. That'd be a downgrade, I think. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. I hope I like cars, somebody but... who doesn't go check down to touchdown instead of yeah. check down. Because that drives me nuts about watching Derek Carr. That's true. I think I think maybe the biggest winner of the Josh McDaniels hire is probably Josh Jacobs. As far as fantasy goes. What about Renfro and Waller? I don't know. You don't even know if that offense is gonna be competent. Like yeah. you know, I said a few minutes ago, maybe it was before the show, I don't remember, but you know, they had talked about you know, McDaniel's working the past 10 years to be a better head coach and stuff. So 
I guess I'm optimistic, but until I see it, you know, if he comes in and trades away Derek Carr for somebody we don't know is proven, there's immediate concern. You know, at least with Derek Carr on the field, you know that those guys will be viable. You know, I, I don't know if you can say the same thing about Mariota. Yeah. That's true. I agree. I, yeah, be... I mean, I I, th- I think it's a little bit like, you know, Tampa Bay. Without Brady now and some of these guys leaving, I think it's one of those wild card teams. You're not entirely sure what to expect. I think Tampa Bay is about to be hit with a rude awakening. They're about one year away from going 3-14. and 14. Would we be shocked if Bruce Arians retires tomorrow? No, I wouldn't. It, I mean, look I wouldn't at, be shocked, but I doubt he will. No, I would. I would be shocked, but you know, I mean, if you look at it, you really want to go into the season with Kyle Trask and Blaine Gabbert. Like, I know Blaine Gabbert is "quote unquote" the most underrated player in the NFL, but really, for what it's worth, as of this morning, Jimmy G was like minus two hundred to be the Bucks' new QB. He's the betting favorite right now. That'd be so, you know. So it would be, and Bruce Arians is almost 70 years old. Like he's a young guy and he, he got out of coaching before because you know, of health and his age and stuff. So I don't know. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if he ended up uh, stepping, stepping down as well, but we'll see. Um, I'm kind of with you guys on, on McDaniels. I, he sounds like somebody who's grown a lot since his time in Denver, but uh, we'll see. The Bears hired Matt Eberflus, uh, which a lot of people were questioning because he's a defensive coach. Um, but they are bringing Luke Getze as OC, the the Packers. Packers, uh, he was their QB coach. But the one thing I want to say is people are worried about Justin Fields because they hired a defensive coach. What I will say Dan Quinn was one of, if not the favorites for that job. I have it on good authority. Dan Quinn went into that meeting. His plan for the franchise was to trade Justin Fields to the Seahawks for Russell Wilson. The Bears said, no, we're not doing that. And they didn't offer Dan Quinn a job. Uh, So this is an organization that is committed to Justin Fields and his growth. And they hired Luke Getze to help them do that. Dan Quinn wanted to make that trade? Dan Quinn wanted, I mean, he's Russell Wilson's his guy. And that supposedly he went into that interview and and that was his plan. Plan A. Is there anything else coming with Justin Fields? Can I, can I, can I live in dream world for a minute? Or do we not know the the more details? Uh, No, I, and I don't know. I don't think that was, it definitely would have been Justin Fields plus. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay. No, but it was just like, that was his, you know, I don't know the the whole details, but that was uh, interesting. Yeah. Isn't it? All right. So, um, you know, them saying no and bringing in Eberflus, who obviously said, hey, I want to bring in Getsy as my OC. Like, they're committed to developing fields. Well, good for them, but it's still interesting. Yeah. So, I, I'm supposed to hop on this, and you said a lot, and I kind of disagree with a lot that you said. Um, I, I saw the Eberflus hire. He's a sound coach. You know, I mean, like, he's a very solid defensive mind, obviously, like, Frank Reich, he didn't. Frank Reich did not hire him um, in Indianapolis. Josh McDaniels actually did, and then um, they kept him, and he kind of like paid his stripes, and now he's getting a shot. Um, I wish they would have went offensive minded. 
And I know they're bringing in Luke Getsky, but he does not have a very great track record. I went back and looked um, at his um, coaching resume. Yeah, like his like where he's gone. Like you know, he started you know obviously in Akron um, as a GA, and then you know became a, a an OC right out right off uh, right out of his GA and failed miserably, um, and then rejoined Pittsburgh like the university as a GA and learned there for a couple of years. Um, and then he went back to IUP, um, which is Indiana university, Pennsylvania and failed as a head coach or the offensive coordinator there was kicked out in two years, went to a Western Michigan, um, was there for a year and then, um, made the jump to the Packers was there for like six months. And then, um, he ended up going to Mississippi state, Hang on, that's that's not true. He was there for three years. Oh yeah, yeah, I read that wrong. Yeah, he was there for three years um, under Mike McCarthy, but then Two different uh, positions. Yep. He went to um, Mississippi State as the offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach, and that didn't really work out very well. And two years later, he was without a job and went back up to Green Bay, and you know has been the quarterbacks coach since. No, he went to Green Bay directly after Mississippi State. He went as the quarterback's coach, and then 2020, he was the passing game coordinator and QB coach. But he was – Rodgers specifically asked – LaFleur – he wasn't like a LaFleur guy. Rodgers asked for Luke Getze. So he must have made an impression in his first stint as like an OC because then because he went to Mississippi State and failed again as the offensive right. coordinator. And I'm yeah, not. I'm not saying that this Green was the Bay. right. Yeah, and I'm not saying this was the right move by the Bears. I was just saying, like, I was just throwing that out there to say, like, that's their plan for Fields, and they they want to keep yeah, him and develop him. But I, it's a good plan. I just don't know if you got the right guys to do it. You have a, a first time head coach who's a defensive minded and a young Luke Getzey, still fairly young a younger offensive-minded coach who has not had a great track record of winning or having great offenses with his time calling place. Each time he's been an offense coordinator, the stint lasted two years and he was out the door. That's not yeah. that's not great. That's very concerning. And he failed at Division Two, Division One. So, you know, so it's like it, it's a yeah. little concerning. Um, I know that, you know, Rogers apparently asked for him, like you said, but I, I don't know. I, that's the, this is the signing and the hiring that I don't love the most. You have a young quarterback who had a horrible first year. I call it what it is. He had good flashes, but it was a pathetic first year. It was not a good year. Um, the coaching staff really did not help him at all. They did not develop him. They did the same thing they did to the first quarterback they, they had in Mitchell Trubisky. They kind of, really stuck it to Justin Fields, and he's kind of a year behind. And now you're bringing in a defensive-minded coach with an offensive coordinator who's not had a great success of winning. Like, he hasn't called plays in one games ever um, at a high level, so that's very concerning in my opinion. And I just – I I, I don't know. Like, that's I, the one signing I have major red flags. I don't think it's going to work. You know, and I hope in two years I'm wrong. But I just have my concerns based off of what I've seen, kind of who I know and have had conversations with. Like, it just seems like a really odd puzzle they're trying to put together. Yeah, I, I so, think Dabble would have been the guy to hire there. Personally. Somebody somebody gets in your DMs in a month and they're like, hey, what should I do with Justin Fields? What's your answer? 
I think you hold them or you're trading them for, you know, like someone, like if you believe in someone similar, like, you know, it's, uh, Trevor you know, Lawrence. Yeah. I mean, like I would still have prefer Trevor Lawrence. Um, although you don't really know what their head coaching system is going to be, especially with the, the GM drama, you know, whatever you want to call that, you know, with Byron Leftwich and, you know, the GM having to have his guy. So I don't know, but it just, oh, speaking of the Jags GM side note, did you see that report today? No, he's at the senior bowl recruiting an assistant GM for, to work, to do the day to day. So he can be more hands-on on practices with the players. Oh, I guarantee you that's what they're trying to sell to Leftwich, and that's why Leftwich hasn't agreed to be their head coach yet. I think Leftwich backed out. I think I saw a report where he was no longer in the running. That's why I kind of like mentally crossed him off. Like, I just don't know what the Jags are going to do, but I know that I don't love the Bears. I mean, like, I hope I'm wrong, you know. I mean, like, and heck, you know, I'd love to admit when I'm wrong and things work out, but I have my concerns, um, with you know, that hiring and kind of where their direction's headed. But I'm glad they they told Dan Quinn no. Yeah, I think that's a good, uh, at least they have a plan for Fields, but I agree. I mean, I don't think that was the best. I would have hired Brian Dabble probably. What do you think, Matt? Well, I got, y'all pretty much said it all. I don't have much to add to that. I think it is good, you know, the front office, the ownership, they have, like you said, I wouldn't say a plan. They have a vision for Fields. And they went out and they tried to find guys that they think that they can bring that vision to fruition. And yeah, yeah. yeah that's a good way to so, sum it up. So I, it's just it's just a wait and see. Um, I know Sam was was very adamant about this after the Eberflus hire. He was talking about how not sure this is the route I would have gone, but a lot of what is going to happen to Fields' development is going to depend on the OC. And they didn't go out and they didn't get a Pep Hamilton or, or somebody else that, that's highly regarded. They went out and they got a wild card. So we'll have to wait and see. Yep. Um, if this Harbaugh to Minnesota stuff is true, instant reactions on that. Temper expectations. Uh, a lot of what Harbaugh did in San Francisco was new to the NFL, the RPOs, the read option, the running quarterback. A lot of defenses at that particular time didn't quite fully grasp how to defend that, so he is more successful. That is now a main staple of the NFL. And the 49ers defense had some dudes on it, Patrick Willis, uh, Alden Smith, and stuff like that. So it was a very good, complete football team. But he does have a proven track record of turning programs around rather quickly. So I would temper expectations as a Vi for a Vikings fan uh, probably for 2022. But I think they could be truly competitive for the NFC North as early as 2023. Especially if Rodgers is gone. Well, right, yeah, Rodgers is gone. I don't know what, what Harborough will want at, at QB. I don't know if he wants to keep Kirk. I don't. That's what I, I was going to ask because I don't Kirk know. has one more year left on his deal. One of the things that I remember because that was when that was back in the, the elite Seattle days when we were going to Super Bowls and NFC titles and stuff like that. One of the, the two biggest things that I remember about Harbaugh's offense was that he loves a quarterback with the mobility. He features a tight end heavily, and he features one true wide receiver. That was Anquan Bolden. That was Michael Crabtree at two different times. It was Vernon Davis all the time, and it was Colin Kaepernick. And then he, he did resurrect Alex Smith's career, who was mobile. I'm not going to say he's a rushing quarterback, but he was mobile. So 
I think Harbaugh to Minnesota is good for the NFL. I think there's a good chance if Jordan Love does hit, then those will probably be the two teams for a long time. If Jordan Love doesn't hit, then there's a chance the Vikings run the North for a while. One thing I will say, and I know Harbaugh's been in the NFL already, but these college coaches, they just have egos, and you can't treat the players the same way. Funny Harbaugh tidbit, when Peyton Manning took his visit to the Niners when he was a free agent, him and Harbaugh were throwing the football back and forth. And, you know, Manning was coming off his neck surgery and, uh, you know, didn't have the strongest arm to begin with. And Harbaugh made a joke about Harbaugh having a stronger arm than Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning didn't like that very much. <laughs> and that, that doesn't really matter. I'm not saying it matters. I'm just saying uh, I just thought that was a funny tidbit. And I just uh, – I don't know. I'd be interested to see how that works out. I didn't see him going to Minnesota. I thought it would be – uh, Miami, but the GM that they hired, he worked with in San Francisco. Um, I think, I, I think obviously Kirk would probably return for that one year. Um, and I think, um, Harbaugh has been a good enough coach long enough in this league to know, I think he'll adjust with his, you know, his personnel. Um, I think that zone running would be obviously Dalvin, I think would say very similar to his production now. Um, I believe Harbaugh is only primarily a zone running scheme. So, you know, I don't think there'd be much of a drop off for Dalvin um, in terms of potential production. Uh, obviously, Thielen's a year older, so you probably step a decline. And I think he knows, you know, and Matt said he features one guy. If he sticks true to that route, at least, you know, JJ's going to feast. Um, I think, you know, they'll try to play hard defense and run the ball. Um It'll be very Mike Zimmer-like. It, it seems kind of like a, a lateral jump. But I think the one thing I will say is I've always thought he's more of an NFL coach. Um, you know, just the way he, you know, just carries himself, relates to players, works, care, you know, is like that blue-collar dog. I've always felt like he's more of an NFL coach. So if he does jump back in the NFL, I'm excited because I always kind of enjoy watching his teams compared to his brother's. Like just yeah. yeah, well, I was just saying that that's what I remember. That's what yeah. he did the last time he was in the league. He could do something different now. So um, so those are uh, – there's only been four official hires. Uh, there's still – I mean, you can cross Minnesota off the list if that happens, but then you still got Jacksonville, Miami, New Orleans, and Houston. That's still – I think Miami probably will and should go with Mike McDaniel. I think he's a, a brilliant young mind, but – I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on the remaining uh, openings at all? I think Josh McCown will probably end up as the guy in Houston. It kind of feels like they're dragging their feet on it a little bit just because, I don't know, like they interviewed him last year. They've interviewed him, I think, three times this year. Like they, there seems to be some serious interest. Um, and if that happens, I don't know. Um, big wild card. Um, I think it would be good for Davis Mills and his development. And I say that because, you know, obviously Josh McCown's been a quarterback in the league for a long time. But if you look around the league, a lot of successful head coaches were backup quarterbacks, not star quarterbacks, like backups. And it's because, you know, you learned yeah. how to be a coach, you know, like you help build the game plan, you know, you, you run the scout defense, you know, and all this other the scout offense, and you're always going against the one defense and stuff. So um, I don't know if it'll work, but Josh McCown obviously knows how to relate with guys. Um, obviously an offensive-minded guy. If that were to be the case, big wild card, you don't know. Um, 
And then the Saints, I don't think anybody knows, but it seems like it's going to be Dennis Allen, and that's a very blech signing. And the Dolphins, like you said, I think it's that McDaniels guy. I, uh, McCown would be interesting. You're right. He's basically been a coach on the field for a while. Um, I wouldn't rule out Jonathan Gannon just yet. I know the Broncos were really, really impressed by him, and the Texans have been as well. He's seen as a rising star. But, uh, yeah, I think McCown's probably the favorite. Matt, anything to add? I'm sh- I'm sure you. I know you guys have. We talked about it in our chat about the the Brian Flores and his class action lawsuit against the NFL. I do wonder if now maybe some of these guys we just named that might have been hired don't get hired uh, in favor of a team panicking and hiring maybe another candidate of a minority. Not saying that that's the right or wrong decision, but I just wonder if there is some sort of reaction from these teams that still have vacancies left because of this. And, you know, it would look bad for the league if the remaining coaches were filled by by uh, white people. So, yeah, I mean, there's only one African-American coach right now. Only I don't one. I don't know what's going to happen with that, but I and I'm not saying anything will as far as these vacancies being concerned, not the lawsuit itself. But I just wonder, like I said, if there is some sort of overreaction or adjustment uh, by these teams to avoid some sort of further scrutiny or something like that can i just oh go ahead sam i was just saying i don't know and i say that because i think the right hiring for i could look at two of the three remaining teams and say it's byron leftwich i mean oh three of the remaining teams uh, you know all of the remaining teams could use byron leftwich i think he'll probably stay in tampa if you know it doesn't work out in jacksonville but I don't know how to ask this without sounding like I'm afraid to start drama or confusion or, but the NFL is obviously, you know, um, players primarily African-American coaches, primarily white. What if it's, isn't it just possible that the teams are hiring like who they believe is the best candidate and it just doesn't happen to be any, you know, African-Americans. Like I'm not sure. Like, you know, isn't that possible? Like, the best candidates just happen to be white. Like, is that not a that, possibility? Um, that is a hundred percent possible. But the issue with this particular lawsuit is that the Giants failed to go by the Bruni rule that was instated however many years ago that it was, and that's where this whole thing has yeah. okay. come from. Is well, that, is that Flores had an interview scheduled with New York? Belichick texted him thinking that it was Dabble and then said, congratulations. And Flores is like, wrong, Brian. And that was before his interview. So it it is basically on record that the Giants already had their mind made up without following the proper interviewing protocol, which then opens Pandora's box. How many other teams yeah. are doing this, et cetera, okay. et cetera, et cetera. Well, well so, and, and- no, I don't think you're wrong. I just think the proper channels are not being – What's I, what, what am I looking through? It's explored or yeah, the teams are not going about this as they should be. And there does need to be some more diversity in my opinion. I just yeah. don't want it to come across like a shot at like, like what it, it, I feel like it's very possible, you know, that they were very excited to interview both Brian Dable and Brian Flores and Dable came in and blew them off their feet and they fell in love you know, they couldn't help but offer him, but they didn't want to like cancel on Brian Flores. Like, 
you know, like still give him a chance, but you know, they, you know, they fell in love with Brian David. Like, I feel like that's still very possible. Like it doesn't have to always be race related. Like, isn't it possible that maybe they still genuinely thought, you know, Brian Flores is coming in, but Dable comes in the day before and like they fall in love. I, I agree with that. And I think that's, that's kind of what I said um, in the chat earlier that like they could have, I mean, everybody has, because Belichick's text said, I hear you're their guy thinking it was dabble but i mean every team kind of has a guy during the process right so it's not necessarily an indictment that they had their guy but they were still interviewing others but i think one of the biggest problems is that the nfl and you can attest to this sam it's a relationship league right it's about connections who you know bring in somebody that you've worked with before or somebody that has a last name of a you know past coach or whatever and a lot of those tend to be white because you know, historically there's more white coaches, there's more white relationships in the league. So to me, that's kind of where the problem lies, but yeah, you also don't want to have teams, you know, like his, yeah, his reference of the Broncos and Elway coming in hungover and just basically checking the box. See, like and that, leaving, that's a problem. And that's like that to me, like that was a bigger problem than like the right. check tweet. I like, agree. And, and that wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that because the way Elway ran interviews, we knew who, who he was going to hire ahead of time. Now he did hire Vance Joseph, so probably not a race thing, but he definitely had his guy ahead of time. And I think it's safe to say most teams have that expectations. And, you know, I don't know. And all, all, you know, all respect to coach Flores, like he's a great coach. Like he may not even had a chance regardless if he was white, just because, um, Brian Dable had just worked with Brian or Joe Shane in Buffalo. Like, I think they probably were talking on Buffalo. Like if I get this job in, you know, New York, like, yeah, I'm going to hire, you know, interview all these other guys, but you're probably my guy. Like they had just worked together. Like I feel like it, they had might've been pre-planned, but they still had to go through the process as well. Like, you know, right. I don't know. like it's just tough to say, but I, I really hope like this is not the case. Like, Man, like I got my opportunity in the league from an African American head coach. Hugh Jackson gave me an opportunity outright. He didn't have to, and I still have you know some some personal contact with him and stuff every now and then. Like I hope that this is not the case. Like I, oh man, you know, yeah. like it would really really suck. Well, and Brian Flores is technically a finalist for. Uh... Uh, which job is it? The yeah, the Giants or the the Dolphins? <laughs> the Texans. The Tex or no? Yeah, the Texans. Right. Yeah. Now, I what happens if the Texans just come out and offer him the job, and then he accepts it? Then it's going to look like they did it out of guilt. I mean, well, yeah, and they can't do that is, now. I mean, there's so he, much. He couldn't he could not be a head coach and can you know have a lawsuit against the NFL? So he so much has hit the fan in like the last six hours. Yeah, it's crazy. But the thing is, is Brian Flores is a great coach. Like, yeah, he's really hard on his guys, but like at the core and like his ability to understand football and help players understand football and like get them better. Like he's one of the best in the league. And it's like, I don't want him to be, you know, being shadow banned just because he's black. Like, and that's what's scary. And, you know, it's like, I understand where people are coming from. And initially when I read those text messages, like I didn't understand like why that was it. Like, you know, you guys had to explain like why that was an issue. And, you know, it's like, yeah. it's really scary to see like, you know, that this league that is literally ran by African-American men, you know, who are on the field, you know, 
are you know they get off the, the feet off the field and they're no longer a person like that you know like is that still how they're being treated like that stuff's scary to me like i was the- watching when this when this broke sports center was on and ryan clark i know he's tv personality used to be the safety for the steelers yeah said that when he was in the nflpa a part of their their board or, or whatever they they call it um he would sit in on these owners meetings and he said that there is not a single owner in the nfl that treats the players or even the coaching staffs as people that they work with. They truly use people as, as money. They treat them as, as entities and not, not relationships with people, which I I found to be astonishing that, that he would say something like that, you know, on national television. But I think there's a clear divide between ownership and everyone else. You know, I, I don't know if I a hundred percent agree with that because like I can attest to like, you know, some of my time in Cleveland where you know, I had some great conversations with you know, the owners and stuff, but, or even like um, Jim Irsay, you know, has always prided himself on like loving his players. So I don't know. Like, I mean, like if you watch like hard knocks, for example, like he really loves his players, but I do agree. Like probably most guys, like in order to be a billionaire, like you have to probably be somewhat socially awkward and like only see people and stuff as monies and stuff. So it may not even be like that they're dicks. Maybe they just don't even realize like what they're doing. You know, like you get you get to a billion dollars and own an NFL team because you're doing something right and you're probably not treating people great. And I don't think it's like they do it out of spite. It's probably just habit. And, you know, I think that's part of the problem with, you know, excluding, you know, only billionaires from being able to buy an NFL franchise. I honestly don't think it has anything to do with money. I think it's a certain generation of men that are still alive that have preconceived notions about what they were taught growing up. And at wow, some point, it's at some point, there's, at some point there's going to be a turnover and it'll change, but it just can't change quick enough. Yep. It's uh, uh I mean, that is a, I never thought about it like that angle. Like, I mean, because I mean, we, we're, all of them are we, like that, but there are, we believe what our parents teach us. Yeah. And these guys are in their 70s, their 80s, their 90s. I mean, they grew up in the 20s and the 30s when stuff like this was, but this is, you know, the Martin Luther King era. So I'm sure they still believe that some of that stuff. So And it's, you know, things deep down, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. And things as, you know, a white man that we probably don't necessarily notice because we're not, you know, we're not black. And so we don't have some of those experiences but i think the biggest thing is just if there's only one african-american head coach that's kind of problematic but you know we'll see what? how it shapes up i'll give mike tom credit there may be only one black coach but he's a top three coach in this league mike 100 oh, percent mike, oh. mike tomlin could get a, a gold jacket today and nobody would say a word and, and i really really think the jaguars need to hire byron left which i do too i think Shad Khan just needs to give up on bulky. Like if yeah. and you have then, everything you need and he's just like, I got a better guy that was at the Arizona director of personnel, Adrian something, something. Adrian yeah. Wilson. Yeah. Bring both of those guys over. Like, I just don't know why you hold on to somebody so long for no reason. Yeah. And then I think, you know, Flores is the, you know, probably should be the guy in Houston, but I think they'll probably go with McCown. But I mean, like maybe not. I mean, but I just think that those two guys should be, you know, all, a head coach somewhere. I have seen Doug Peterson's name floated around in Jacksonville as well as New Orleans, but 
I've read a couple reports where he's giving some pretty uninspiring interviews. So, well, well and that's that's another thing. I mean, Eric Bieniemy is always an example of the race thing, and again, I you know there I are know. certain issues there with him though. He has a very checkered past. He's been arrested multiple times. I also know that he's gone into interviews as a head coach with a blank notebook ready to take notes. That's not wow. every other head coaching candidate goes in with a full notebook of plans, visions, like we talked about. You know, this is really funny. I interviewed with a school reach out to me like two weeks ago and I didn't end up getting position, but I had notes upon notes upon notes of just like, it was a division three school that wanted me to coach running backs. I didn't take it, but like I had, notes on every single player that I was working with, what I wanted to work on, where I think they should go. It's like, that just blows my mind. And that's, you know. Yeah. Wow. And that's how prepared you are. For, like, and so you know how that process goes. And, and that's for a for division that. three school. This is an NFL head coaching gig. Yeah. I there's mean, only 32 of these jobs. I'm an over-prepared. Like I'm, and when it comes to football, I, you know, I mean, not only is it what I do all the time, you know, like I'm a details guy, you know, I like to understand the why, once you can understand the why and kind of like why you're looking at and what to fix, you know, I think you can really dive in. And so like when you start to break down players, what you want to work on, like it get it adds like, those pages, like add up quick. That blows my mind. Yeah. That blew my mind too. I was, I was shocked, but that's, uh, but I know. think if you're a, he's obviously a great football mind and guys love him. I think you know, your past is your past. Like, I don't think you should, you know, be held against you, you know, forever. So I feel like he should get a shot, you know, if he's prepared. Like, you know, if, if he comes in the meeting and is taking notes instead of giving notes. I mean, I think there's a difference. Like, you might have a notepad for notes and then a notepad where you've already got pre-written notes. Like, I've done that. But if he just went in with one notebook to take notes, then maybe he's not ready. But yeah, you know, I think... I mean bright he's, enough mind he deserves a shot he's does he though i mean the only time he's called plays was at cu boulder and it was an absolute train wreck they were one of the worst offenses in college football he's never he's called plays, other than plays that. Didn't, didn't andy reed call the plays andy reed calls the plays that's what, I'm saying. what, is, what does he do all the plays what's that Andy andy reed said last week that eric b is calling the plays he probably i think he calls some like and, he and anyways them, like, like scratches even if you're an offensive coordinator and you're not calling the plays, you're still building the game plan. For sure. You know, yeah. yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Some of that stuff. So, I mean, like, but yeah. That's yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's it's debatable. I don't, but you know. I, I'm not saying he's, he's a, would be a bad head coach, but I will say as, as a blanket statement, we do see bad coaches get propped up by good quarterbacks and offenses that again go out and get gigs on their own that just end up being terrible. You can and just it say is, Adam Gase's name out loud. Oh, I wouldn't even think of him, but <laughs> and kidding. It's, Sam it's, Darnold with uh Adam Gase was propping up Sam Darnold. Yeah. And I will say it's it's kind of known in the NFL that Eric Bieniemy is a very bad interview. He's had eight or nine now and hasn't gotten offered, but that doesn't mean he can't get the tenth one and be great. Right. So um yeah, still in I his thirties too or forties, yeah, relatively I mean, young. So. Yeah, he can He'll probably get a shot eventually. Hopefully, I mean that kind of goes back to the whole, you know, race thing. But we'll see how it plays out. Um, hopefully, um, like you said, Sam. Hopefully, this isn't the case. But um, definitely need more African American head coaches. So um, went a little long today, but I thought we got a good conversation and good stuff. Um, as always, head on over to Patreon.com/backslash Fantasy Scouts. Subscribe with us there. 
Check out our revamped website at ffballallday.com. And we'll see you next week on the Fantasy Scouts podcast, where we bring you inside info you won't get anywhere else. Anywhere else.